Amen and amen. What a morning of worship already to hear to hear the church sing it's not I it's him it's always been him If you would turn in your bibles to Micah chapter 1 verse 1 Micah chapter 1 verse 1 last week we completed Jonah, as we continued on through our sermon series entitled Repentance for Revival. The idea that the message of the prophets, and I would even say the message of Scripture is in part a message of repentance and of grace. Repentance in the sense that the Bible tells us that if we continue to walk the wrong way, if we continue to follow our own desires, continue to follow what the world says is important, that there is destruction at the end of that path. But if we will turn the message of hope and of repentance, if we will turn and follow Jesus Christ and obey him, that we will find not destruction, but that we will find blessing that we will find salvation, that we will find purpose and fulfillment and hope. The message of Micah is similar. Micah stands before the people of Israel and proclaims this message of repentance and hope as well. And we're going to dig into that message over the next several weeks, Micah being the longest of the books that we're going to look at uh, in this particular sermon series. He's seven, seven chapters long. We're going to look at that. But this morning, we're going to look specifically at Micah chapter 1, verse 1, and, and just spend a moment in time, of time to ask the question, how is it, how is it that the prophet speaks this word? How is it that there is power in the message? How is it that we today can continue to be God's ambassadors with the same message? And so if you would, would you please help me to honor the reading of God's word by standing together as we read Micah chapter 1 verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Morasheth. In the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Let me pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we are thankful. Oh, we have much to be thankful for as we remember the blessings that you have bestowed upon us, whether it be in our family, whether it be in our church, whether it be in the food on our tables, the roof over our head, whether it be in this country that we live in, or most importantly, the salvation that you have granted us, that you desire to know us and to have a relationship with us, to call us into life and life eternal. And that now you have set us on a course. Father, I pray that as we Listen to your word this morning that we would understand the power that you desire to give. That we may accomplish more than we could ever dream of. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
Micah 1.1 is not a long verse by any stretch of the imagination, nor does it give us any great depth of theological information. And yet there are some simple things that we find in this first verse that inform us not only about the person of Micah and his ministry, but also help us to see a bigger picture of what is going on, not only in the prophets, but in our lives as well. And so this morning, my desire, my hope, my prayer is that that we go through Micah 1.1, as we learn a little bit more about the person of Micah and his ministry and how that is accomplished, that we would remember that God desires to do the same thing through us. It may not be the exact same ministry, it may not be the exact same mode or method, but it is certainly the same purpose and by the same power that we accomplish what God has given us to do. As we look at Micah chapter 1, the first thing that we learn about Micah is that he is from Morasheth. Now, Morasheth was a small town located just to the south, kind of southwest of Jerusalem. It was in a rural area. Uh, It wasn't known for its big population. There was nothing to draw anyone there. It was just kind of a dot on the map, so to speak, that people would go, oh yeah, I kind of know that place. But he didn't grow up in Jerusalem. He didn't grow up in the capital of Israel, Samaria. He didn't grow up in any of those places. He was like most of us who grew up in this community or in a surrounding one, who grew up in a rural area with nothing special to put by the place that we were born or raised other than for it to be our home. He was a small town guy. And it must have been quite the thing when God spoke to Micah and said, I want you to proclaim my message to these people. For him to call out to Micah and say, don't just stay here. I'm I'm sending you to Jerusalem. I'm going to send you to Samaria. I'm going to send you to the big city. And I can remember, the, I remember when I, I graduated from college, I went to Hannibal LaGrange, so I kind of stayed close to home, and I can remember that first time when I realized that I was going to go to the University of Memphis, that I was going to move to that city and, and continue my education there. There were all kinds of butterflies. It was like, I've never lived in anywhere close to that big, and I was extremely nervous about it. And then I found the barbecue, and things got better. But Micah must have been extremely nervous. This is a small town kid. Not only that, but he was probably from a farming background. The name Morasheth ties to wine presses. More than likely, this area was a place where grapes were grown. And certainly, they would have had livestock. Most scholars agree that that Micah's background, based on some of his writings, based on what little we know about him, where he's from, what we know from tradition about him, based on, on just several different things, most scholars agree Micah was from a farming background. Whether he was a wealthy farmer or whether he was a farmhand is debated, but that was his background. He was certainly not trained to be a priest, or to be a communicator for God. It was, he had no formal 
uh, religious education to speak of. It wasn't like he had gone to seminary and learned how to, to properly divide the scriptures and, and how to preach a sermon or how to minister to people. He had none of that. God simply came to this small town kid with, with an agricultural background and said, I want you. I want you to speak for me. I want you to work for me. Never mind, like I said, that he had no training in that. God wasn't worried about his training. He wasn't worried about what education Micah did or did not have. He had created Micah and brought Micah to this point in his life with all the experiences that were tied to that for a purpose. Not only that, but it's interesting that Micah wasn't even the most well-known prophet of his day. We get a sense of when his ministry occurs based on the three kings that are listed in Micah 1.1. Those three kings give us a, a time stamp, so to speak, of when all of these things occurred uh, for Micah and, and the message that he was speaking into people's lives. And if we take that time stamp and we look at the rest of Scripture, we find that Micah was a contemporary of Isaiah if you flip back some in your Bible, you're going to find the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is one of the largest books in all of Scripture. Most of his messages are recorded. His deeds are there. He's recorded in the history part of the Bible in, in First and Second Kings. And, and we see him active. He was the superstar, so to speak. He was the, he was the to put it in our context, he was the, the pastor of the megachurch, Okay. Isaiah was the guy. Micah was kind of, kind of in the background, so to speak. And that's most of his ministry. And yet, despite being from a small town, being from a farming background, not having any formal religious education, certainly, not even being the most well-known prophet of his time, Micah, Micah continued to serve well. James 5.17 says that all of the prophets we could look at in this light. James 5, starting in verse 17, says, Elijah, the great prophet, was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did rain. Then he prayed again and, gave he and heaven gave rain and earth bore its fruits. You see, it's not just Micah that we could say this about. It's really all of the prophets even, even the great prophets of Moses and, and the, the great saints of Abraham and the disciples, Peter and Paul and, and others that we look at and we put on pedestals, we must remind ourselves on a consistent basis that when we look at those individuals, that they're just like us. There wasn't anything uniquely special about them. They all had different hometowns. They all had different occupations, different levels of education, different skill sets, different desires, and different passions. Just like we do as individuals sitting in this church this morning. And yet, again, we see Micah serve faithfully. He was a faithful prophet. He was a faithful prophet. His ministry spanned for some 25 to 30 years. Again, we get this time stamp from the, pro, the kings, sorry, the kings that are listed in 1-1. We know that he proclaimed the message of God for 25 to 30 years. And it was not a popular message. 
The first 20 years of Micah's ministry, and especially the middle section when he was under Ahaz, his message was not, they did not want to hear it. Ahaz, the king, was an evil king. He did everything opposite of the way that God wanted him to do. He, he worshipped other gods, and he made sacrifices, and he did things that, that we won't even speak of this morning. He was evil. He closed down the temple in Jerusalem so that no one could worship there. That was the that was the atmosphere that Micah did a good chunk of his ministry in to speak to those people that would follow Ahaz and to Ahaz himself and say, the, the direction that you are going leads to nowhere good. Repent. Stop going that way. Start going the other way. There's no doubt that that message was met with ridicule, that it was met with at times, even violence. But Micah continued to minister. Part of the reason that his message was so disliked was that it was a message of justice. Micah's message of repentance that we've talked about, the evil that he spoke of most was the evil of those individuals who were powerful, who were High, high and lifted up in society, who had a great deal of wealth, that, that they were taking advantage of those in society who they saw as below them. We're going to get into this more next week, but Micah spoke about how the rich of the society, they were stealing from the poor. They were, they were taking advantage of them. They were causing them to, to stay poor. And in some cases, they were causing them to even go farther into poverty. He spoke of how women and children were treated in society, how foreigners were treated in society. And he said, this is wrong. And it was an unpopular message that got him in a great deal of trouble. And yet, Micah continued to be faithful. He continued to preach the message that God had given him. Thanks be to God that he chose to show Micah the fruit of his labor. Micah ends up seeing the revival under Hezekiah. A new king of Judah comes on, on the scene. And when that happens, Micah, continuing his ministry, gets to see God do something incredible. If you'll turn back with me to Jeremiah, just a few pages over to the left. Micah, or sorry, Jeremiah 26. Jeremiah is preaching a similar message to that of Micah. He's telling the people of Judah, the people of Jerusalem specifically, if you continue to go this direction, if you continue to go this direction, you're going to find destruction. Jerusalem's going to be torn down. It's not going to end well. And the people of of Jerusalem at the time of Jeremiah hear that message and they decide, we don't like this guy, we're going to get rid of him. And so we find in, the, in Jeremiah 26, verse 16, this re recorded, it says, Then the officials and all the people said to the priest and the prophets, This man does not deserve the sentence of death, for he has spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. And certain of the elders of the land arose and spoke to all of the assembled people, saying, Micah of Morasheth, 
Moresheth, prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and said to all the people of Judah, thus says the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed as a field, Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountains, the mountain of the house of, wood, of a wooded height. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all Judah put him to death? The answer being no. Did Hezekiah not fear the Lord and entreat the favor of the Lord? And did not the Lord relent of the disaster that he had pronounced against them? But what we are about to do bring, but we are about to bring great disaster upon ourselves. We see here in the in the in the time of Jeremiah a recounting by the elders of a time in the not so recent past when Micah preached faithfully and God used the obedience of Micah to change the heart of the king and to change the direction of a nation. And Micah got to see, Micah got to see revival born out of repentance. It must have been an incredible thing towards the end of his ministry to see this miraculous change happen around him and to see the, the fruit of all the, the work that, that the Lord had given him. Even more than that, it's incredible to see here now. He, he could have never imagined, I'm sure as a small boy growing up in a rural community, he would have never imagined that he would have had the ear of the king, that his message would have brought repentance to the people of the nation, much less that several decades later that his work and his ministry and the fruit of that ministry would have saved Jeremiah's life. That people would see Jeremiah's message and go, hey, we've seen this play out before. It's quite an incredible thing when you think about it. This small town boy preaching to kings and nations and seeing God do some incredible things. And yet that's the same thing that God calls us to do. Not maybe to preach to kings, not maybe to, to see nations come to repentance through something that God does through us, but certainly God has sent us on a mission to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the hope of salvation and heaven for those that are headed the wrong direction. Jesus tells us, if you follow me, you will produce fruit. In other words, he's saying you will make other disciples. Now, he, he gives a caveat to that. He says some of you will have tenfold. Some will be a hundred. And we think, well, our ministry is not very big. I haven't impacted that many people. But let me ask you a question. If I had a police officer or a firefighter here standing with me on stage, and I said, this man standing here with me, he saved 10 people's lives. We would stand in ovation. We would be so thrilled. What if I reduced it? What if I said, this man standing here saved five people's lives? We would want him to write a book. We would make a movie over him. What if, what if I said, this man standing here saved one person's life? We would rejoice. We would throw a parade because of what he had done for one person. Oh, friend, the measure of what God does in your ministry is not a number. It is a life 
saved. Maybe God leads you to one person and that person receives Jesus Christ in repentance. We should be throwing parades. Maybe he calls you to five or 10 or 50. Or maybe he gives you the ministry of Micah and you go far beyond anything you could have ever imagined. But the question to all of this is how? How is that possible? How do we even save one? How was Micah able to to preach to kings and to nations for 25 years, often in times of great hostility towards that message and towards himself? How was he able to remain faithful until that moment when he saw the revival? And the answer simply is the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. We sang this song earlier, but we have to remember that when we are called into the ministry of Jesus Christ, when we are given a purpose, when we are given life, that it is not done on our own by our own means, that it's not accomplished by our own strength or our own wit, but it is not, it is not I, but it is Christ. And it is his spirit with us. Micah himself speaks to this in verse 3, 8. In chapter 3, verse 8. He says, but as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord. Micah himself says, it's not through my own abilities that I am able to speak these words. It's not through my own wit or my own wisdom that I am able to speak to kings and to nations. It is by the Spirit and the Spirit alone. Peter, the great disciple, speaks to this as well. He says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, knowing first knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This work, this message, these gifts, these talents, they are from the Lord, and we only accomplish them through Him. John 14, Jesus is speaking to the disciples. It is the night before of his arrest, before the crucifixion, and he is comforting them. He is reminding of, the, of them of certain things. And we find that passage that Norm gave us just a moment ago. It says in 14 verse 15, or sorry, verse 16. No, 15, I was right. If you love me, You will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Skipping over to verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Going over to chapter 16, he continues. He says, I still, in chapter 16, verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. 
When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. You see, God does not leave us, Jesus does not leave us, as he says in 14, as orphans. But he leaves us with something greater. He leaves us with the Holy Spirit who lives with us. May we remember as we go through this life, whether it be through the great joys of triumph or the great grief of loss, that we are not alone. Though all others would abandon us, though all others would mock us, Jesus Christ is with us. The Holy Spirit is with us. And we find great comfort and great peace in that. Let's remember that the Holy Spirit teaches and reminds us. Jesus tells them, I, have, I haven't finished all of your training yet, but I am sending you one who will explain everything. And the Spirit guides us as we read through the Word, and he unfolds the, the, he unfolds the Pentateuch, he unfolds the history, he unfolds the, the Psalms and the prophets and the New Testament. He unfolds them in our minds and our hearts that we may not only gain wisdom, but that we may gain application. How do we use this book to live? It's the Holy Spirit that does that. It's the Holy Spirit that reminds us of those words. Jesus says, do not fear when they drag you before kings and governors, but, and do not worry about what you will say, for I will give you the words. Maybe you're like me and you've sat with a friend who is struggling, maybe with a marriage, maybe with an illness or a sickness to another, maybe with a child, and you simply do not have the words. But he whispers, remember this. Remember to tell them that I am with them. Remember to tell them that there is mercy and grace. And he reminds us of his word that we may encourage, that we may bring healing, not through our own power, but through his, that we may hold accountable, that we may that we may help cut away sin when it's needed, that we may lift up and pray for. He teaches and reminds us he leads. He leads. We don't set our own course, but rather when we declare that Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Savior, we are saying, you go first, I will follow. I will follow. Do we wake up in the morning and put our feet on the ground and ask, Lord, where would you have me to go today? Who would you have me to see today? Do we ask him to make it evident to us that this occasion, when we rub shoulders with a certain individual, that it was not merely happen chance, but that it was a divine appointment do we allow him to lead in the small things and in the big? And do we remember that he empowers us? Oh, church, like, <laughs> this is to me as much as it is to anyone. But do we remember that the ministry of the gospel is not accomplished by our own wisdom and our own wit and our own strength and our own activity, but that it is accomplished by him. Brother and sister, do you find yourself 
in a place and time when ministry is maybe difficult or it's frustrating, that you keep running up against the wall, that you feel like you just can't do it anymore, that you're trying to take on all of it by yourself and you're like, what is going on? Sometimes that is a really good time to stop and say, am I trying to do this or is he? We get in a really bad habit sometimes as believers of saying, I want to do this. Lord, bless that. Rather than saying, Lord, what do you want to do and how can I join you? Sometimes in those moments of frustration, sometimes that's the enemy. Sometimes it's, it's just life. But sometimes it's us needing to take a step back and say, am I trying to do this in my own power? Am I trying to save the world on my own? Or am I relying on him? Because he's the one that changes the hearts of kings. He's the one that changes the direction of nations. He's the one that brings the heart, the heart of repentance and salvation to the lost. He's the one that died on the cross and rose again, not me. Am I to be faithful? Yes. Am I to be obedient? Yes. Am I speak the, the gospel with truth and hope? Absolutely. Am I to serve my neighbor as I would serve myself? Of course. But I do it with the knowledge that he goes before, that he accomplishes those things. As we come to a conclusion, we think and we ponder about how Micah was able to accomplish so much, that how Micah, God used this, this individual who others would have looked at and shrugged, and used him to do incredible things, as we're reminded this morning that God God gives the same Holy Spirit to you and I that he did to Micah and to the other prophets. Let us remember that God wants to use us, that he wants to use you, that he has given you a purpose. Now, in some ways, all of us have the same purpose. We're all here that we may make much of God, that we may glorify his name, that we may make him known, that we, others may hear of who he is and the grace that he offers. Certainly, all of us have that purpose in common, but he has given us different skills and different passions, different talents and different gifts to see that occur. For some of you, it may be the love on children to help them to understand the truths of God's word. For some of you, it may be to teach adults. For others of you, it may be to serve in a kitchen during a ministry. For others, it may be to clean. For others, it may be to build or to care for, for physical properties that, that we have or that others have. For others, it may be cards and words of encouragement and prayer. God has God has knitted together a wonderful thing called the church so that our gifts and talents may be magnified through him. You have a purpose and you have a place. It is no accident that you are here this morning. It is no accident that you were born in this region or that God has brought you here over time. He has placed you in Vandalia. Not Vandalia, Ohio, not Vandalia, Illinois, Vandalia, Missouri, here and now, in 2023, because he wants to use you, because there is a person that you can reach, that he wants to use you to save, 
to love on, to understand. Because there is a church here that needs you. Every single one of you. We can't do this well without our whole body. He has given you a purpose. He has given you a place. And he has given you the power. Just as he filled Micah with the power to speak, so he will fill you to accomplish the purpose that he has given you. I don't know how many times since I was a little kid, I've heard church people say, well, I'm going to do this, but I'm not good at that. I'm going to do this because I feel the Lord taking me this direction, but that's not me. And then lo and behold, they get in there and God does cool things. And they're like, I would have never imagined this. He gives us the power to accomplish the purpose that he's given us. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and God's been saying, you need to get involved in this. You need to do this. You need to, you need to speak to this person. You need to go talk to that individual, that coworker, that, uh, that vendor, that, uh, that client. You need to go talk to this family member. You need to go talk to this church member. You need to go serve in children's ministry or you need to go help with youth ministry or you need to, you need to just be a body that, that's there that serves. And you're like, I can't do that. That's the whole point you can't. He can. As the worship team comes back up and we have a time of response, we believe that when God speaks in his word, that he speaks to us. And just as in a normal conversation, it's polite to speak back, so too we have a responsibility to respond. Maybe you're here and, and you're a believer. You have a relationship with Christ, but you've been trying to live the Christian life. You've trying to be, been trying to serve on your own. You've ignored the Spirit. You say, I don't need that. I can do this. You've ignored His calling. You've ignored His leading. And this morning, He has been pounding on your heart and saying, let me in. <laughs> let me work. Let me show you things. Will you do that this morning? Maybe you're here this morning, you've never had a relationship with him. This morning, will you surrender to him and say, I, I want to follow you. I want purpose. I want a place where I belong. I want, I need that. This morning, will you, will you come to God and just say, forgive me for going this direction. I want to follow you. And then will you come find us? Come find somebody so that we can help you to know what the next step is. We're not designed to do this life alone. We're designed to do it in community. Let me pray. Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for your grace and your, for your mercy. We thank you that you find us right where we're at, no matter, no matter what stage of life, no matter the, the location, Lord, that you find us and that you desire to speak to us, that you desire to use us, that we would find purpose and fulfillment in the kingdom and in you. Father, I pray that, that you would help us to rely more on the Spirit, that we would, we would not get lazy, that we wouldn't stop working, but Father, that we would jump in and go, Lord, what would you have me to do? How would you use me here and now? Father, that you would help us to see you do miraculous things just as we see 
the revival in, under Hezekiah and the change in that nation. Father, we pray. We pray, start with us. We ask these in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.